Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vin. One of the titles I'm probably going to say his last name because that's going to be very difficult. I'm going to say Dr. Steve. He's the founder of Top Dog uh, Learning Group. He's also the gay leader dude. Did I say that right? Gay leader? I didn't say that right. Just feel right. Did I say that right? It's weird. I'm, I'm hearing. I'm hearing echo, echo, echo. <laughs> oh, you, I wonder if you have the the, the live feed going on too. It's weird. I'm hearing. I'm hearing echo, echo, echo. Yeah, hold on one second. <laughs> yeah, this is see, this is why we we love to go live right there. I mean, live in person and probably with a lot of business leaders, they have to deal with being live on a, uh, a daily basis and be careful of the words they use. I mean, I mean, this is being live right here. So anything you say right now, someone could be watching this 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road. Oh, now I think we lost the sound for you now. No, no, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, you're there. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, being live. So, well, thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, Steve, for, for being here today. Yeah, no, thank you, Vinny. Happy to be here. So a question that I asked basically all the people in the kind of similar field that you are, coaches, consultants, and I did get a flag for this on a previous episode where I, where I lumped those two in together, uh -huh. uh, yet I'm still going to do it, is <laughs> how would you separate yourself from other of those people in this sector, coaches, consultants, people like that? Yeah, I, I and thank you for that question. Um, I've been in this space for about going on thirty years. So I started in kindergarten, and um, <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's almost been about thirty years. And 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 I, I kind of take a step back and say, well, what I at its core, I'm a communications expert. Um, I help people either communicate with their team members. Uh, I help them communicate with their clients or their, their uh, vendors or whomever. So at the core, it's building relationships and communicating. And that's kind of the, the general way I would, I would uh, kind of identify myself. This, I mean, this is a question that kind of pops in my head. I mean, especially I think with the quote unquote, I don't know, you say cancel culture, you see basically kind of things like that out there. Is, is there a way to coach people of of putting videos out there, like for leaders, mm -hmm. right? Of saying that this this is the content that we're going to basically be releasing over the next five, 10 years, or is it always assessing the content you're putting out there, I guess, every couple of years to see if maybe a word becomes derogatory or uh, the way you talk to people changes? Because it seems like that's changing kind of on a frequent basis. So how, yeah, yeah how's that work? Yeah, no, I, I think if, if we're going to be smart leaders, uh, we should always be revisiting any of our assets that we have out there, whether it be in print, whether it be video, whatever, because, you know, what somebody published as, say, a commercial back in the 70s, it's probably going to look a little bit different in the, the 2020s and such. So I think if we're if we're approaching business and just approaching leadership and communication right, we should be revisiting those those assets, if you will, and, and make sure that they're both um, still saying the same message that we want it to and the, the correct intent and, and two, making sure that the, through the lens or the context of, of today's audience and who's listening to that. Fair enough. I mean, well, let's rewind to, um, to a young Steve. <laughs> I mean, who was a young Steve? Was he kind of helping other people get to where they needed to get to? Is he life of the party? Who was a young Steve? 
Um, young Steve was a uh, very unathletic, uh, more rounded kid who okay. tried every sport and failed pretty much at all of them, um, but uh, but but still tried. And um, and I think you know it, I, I was pretty fortunate with my my upbringing. I uh, parents are awesome, still together to this day. Um, looking at you know, I, youngest of two siblings or three siblings, I should say. And um, you know, I had a fairly fairly good middle class kind of blue collar upbringing in in the suburbs of Philadelphia and but all of that really contributed to how I look at the world in that glass half full kind of perspective so um, you know we all have our bad days and we all have that those you know uh, there's that kids book Alexander and the terrible horrible no good very bad day <laughs> well we all have those but um, I think young Steve er, learned very early on to uh, take a look at how to look at the glass a little more half full than half empty where did that that mindset come from? Was it, I mean, nature, nurture, family? Kind of, I mean, where was that? Where did that come from? Uh, I think it's a couple different things. Um, the first is, you know, my parents were were pretty positive folks. Uh, my dad is and still is. He can tell jokes for like hours and hours. And so, you know, kind of that joy um, in in the household kind of permeated, at least for me, um, both during the childhood as well as well, well, well beyond and, and really helping people be relaxed and, and leverage humor um, more as a tool to um, bring joy and kindness um, and not be cruel. Mm. And you talk well-rounded in sports. What kind of sports do you play? <laughs> no, I, I was I was a well-rounded kid. Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if you're going for a heavier set or well-rounded. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. He said a lot of courts. So I'm just saying. No, I was I was a a, a little portly child. I've I found my inner jock um, in my twenties. Um, okay. But you know, I tried everything. Actually, I was fairly good at tennis, even though I was a little, a little heavy kid. Um, but uh, as as I became an adult, um, I really found myself playing a lot of softball um, and some other sports as well, team sports. And I finally had to retire from my softball days about three years ago. Small ball. <laughs> Uh, so you're in young kid, a little heavier set. What were your aspirations kind of going in the future? Was it being a coach? Was it just being in the corporate world? Was Did you have any kind of aspirations kind of growing up? Uh, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and what's kind of funny, and I'm from a family of teachers, and and I was accepted to my undergrad as a math educator because I kind of liked math and I was good at math. And um, before I got on campus, I was, used to do theater and stuff as a kid. And one of my friends, um, she was a year ahead of me. She came back for break and, and I'm like, oh, how's college? And she's like, you know, it's great. I'm a speech communication major. I'm like, what the heck is that? And she kind of told me, I'm like, wow, that sounds a little bit more like me. So I switched majors before I ever got set foot on campus. But it's kind of interesting because if I look at full circle, I am an educator. I, I, I work with adult education um, with corporations and, and large not-for-profits. So I'm like this weird anomaly of, of an educator, but I guess I still did what I wanted to do when I was, you know, in second grade. You're, so you're going to college. After college, did you get directly into leadership coaching or what was the process there? I, I, I found myself um, working at several organizations. My, my, my dream during undergrad was to work for Disney. And so, you know, I grew up outside of Philly and didn't have a job, but I packed up my little Ford Escort, um, was going to live with a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend uh, in Orlando, came down, unpacked what I you know could fit in my car, went to uh, Walt Disney World, and I got a job. 
Um, it wasn't the most glamorous job. It was a, a um, at the time, it was the Central Reservations Office. So um, this is pre-internet friends who are listening and watching. So if you wanted to make a Disney vacation, you had to call 407-W-Disney. And me or 499 other folks would answer that, that call. And we all had unique names. So we had a phony name in true Disney fashion. So I was Ethan. I was not Steven because there was already a Steven you know, who worked there somewhere. And uh, so I, I did that job for about six months. Um, it was not the best fit for me, but it was a great exposure to kind of getting into the, the Disney and the corporate world. But I had a, a series of three really bad things happen to me all within two days of each other. I, um, I, you know, I was sleeping on a futon because I didn't have any furniture just yet. And um, I woke up one morning and I, and it was one of those futons. that's like basically just a sponge, you know, it's kind of like you flip it up and you're on the floor. So I rolled over and I hear this squish. I'm like, what the heck was that? And it turns out our, our toilet blew up during the night. So the, the entire apartment was flooded. Well, of course, I'm sleeping on a sponge and didn't realize it. So there's one. And then um, I open up the front, you know, go to my roommate, like, Jeff, Jeff, what's going on? And I open up the front door just to see. And it turns out my, my mountain bike, which is like the only possession I had, was stolen. I'm like, strike two. And then um, so a couple days later, I'm like, well, you know what? I need a bed. And, and so I, I found a... Um, you know, like a classified ads for bed. I went to go get it and I got into a near fatal car accident. I'm like, okay, clearly God, universe, Buddha, Allah, insert whoever here is like, Steve, get the heck out of Orlando. You're not supposed to be here. So moved back up to Philly uh, in with the folks. And uh, ironically, that was the time when I started to figure my authentic self out and figure out like, wait a minute, maybe I don't like girls. Maybe I'm really more into dudes. And which was a bad timing because now I'm living with mom and dad and I'm in my 20s. I'm like, oh, man, this this is not good. So, that you know, that, that progressed. I was there for about a year and then I got a job offer, which happened to be in Orlando. And I didn't want the job, but I came for the interview thinking, eh, I can go see my friends in Orlando. That's cool. And it was an amazing software company. It's the mid 90s. And I, I, I was applying for grad school and I said, you know, I'll put that on the back burner and tried this job. And so I moved back down to Orlando for time number two, knowing my authentic self. It was a completely different experience. It was really fun. Um, and then I ended up um, staying at this, this, and this is the first time I got into the, the training to kind of roundabout answer your question. I was doing software training, but I was still working with adults and helping them learn things and, and strategically use this tool and all that good stuff. And then um, the company got bought and it, things were kind of getting a little weird. So I said, yeah, I'm going to pick up that grad school thing again. So I uh, went to Ohio, uh, to Ohio State for my master's degree in educational policy and leadership. So it's where the leadership thing starts coming in. And then I applied for jobs in D.C., in Chicago. And I'm like, eh, I like the weather in Orlando. What the heck? Got the job in Orlando, uh, moved back for a third time. My friends are now calling me Boomerang because they're like, my goodness, we throw you away. You keep coming back. I'm like, I'm sorry. And uh, the, the coolest part, though, is I moved back on a Monday. Friday, I met who's now my husband 23 <laughs> for 23 years or so. So, you know, I was meant to be in Orlando, just my timing was never right. And I spent time uh, in a couple different corporations before going out on my own. I worked at I did go back to Disney, but in a, a much different capacity. I was an internal leadership consultant uh, with the cruise line, which was a sweet gig, I have to say. Um, I worked at IBM for a while as an external consultant. Uh, I was a professor for like a hot minute at a couple of universities, including here uh, at the University of Central Florida. And then um, started uh, my, I took my, my part-time side hustle uh, with Top Dog Learning Group, which we technically started in 2002. I took it as my full-time gig in 2008, which was just awesome timing from a economy perspective um but knock on wood that's what i've been doing full-time ever since so in 2008 that's when you started top dog learning 
It, it's when I took it full time. So my friend Ruth and I started it while we were still at Disney because okay. she approached me. She's like, oh, wow. we should we should we should do a job. I'm like, or do a business. I'm like, well, we have jobs. You know, we work for Disney. She's like, no, no, let's just hear me out. And so we went to our boss at Disney and we told her the deal. We're going to do this consulting thing, training. She's like, fantastic. Thank you for coming. Don't use Disney time. Don't use Disney stuff. Good luck. And so we we did a couple of projects here and there. It wasn't anything crazy, but the cool thing was we set up the business infrastructure. So then flash forward to, to late 2007, I'm uh, kind of in between jobs. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I'm like, you know what? I have this structure. Let's make it a full-time gig and see what happens. And knock on wood, that's what I've been doing. What was it? What was originally? Because I mean, you, you talk about in your video on your website, uh, kind of a quality. And I think a lot of the stuff you have a quality there. I mean, was it, did it originally come as kind of a quality and coaching and kind of hand in hand or what was the original vision of it? Uh, Top Dog was really focused on soft skills for leaders. And we define leader as, as anyone with influence within the business. And that's pretty much everybody. So um, it's really thinking about those soft skills things, but both Ruth and I had a very strong uh, background and passion for diversity and inclusion. And so as the years progressed, that line became much more blurred in a great way. And if you now look at you know, the times we're in, if you are an inclusive leader, you're going to be a heck of a lot more successful than if you're one that's more exclusionary. And so I like to say that, that we, we evolved and merged into really fostering um, inclusive leaders and creating that sense of belonging uh, within the workplace. How do you think, and I, and I know it's part-time before you... Um, I don't know if the right word, but before you opened up, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, how did the vision, I guess, change or the way you looked at that, that business change from pre, I guess, to like kind of post. We, it's kind of still the same, quite honestly. Okay. Um, you know, there's, there's a, I mean, what we do today, what I've been doing with clients over the years is, is we focus on cultivating leadership talent. Now the approach is, is slightly different. Of course it better be, or else we're not really good consultants if we haven't evolved with the times. Um, but really helping leaders mostly within the corporate context or, or large not-for-profits really help them think through how they can approach, uh, their leadership how they can approach leading their teams or their projects or you know, whatever it is in, within the workplace and, and leverage both their own personal strengths as well as expose them to some other strategies, tools, ideas to help them be even more effective with the, the leadership at hand. Has there ever been a time, I mean, for your own self where you were part of a, a company, a corporation, an entity where you kind of wish that they had your services because you maybe weren't treated, I guess, the best? Yeah, this is where, um, you know, it's, it's a combination of, of really knowing leadership and also knowing uh, like organizational development and, and efficiencies. Um, and, and so, you know, I drive my husband crazy sometimes when we're like at the airport and TSA line. I'm like, oh, this is so inefficient. Oh, these people have no people skills. And, you know, not to generalize, of course, from my TSA friends listening. But, uh, you know, sometimes you see these, these inefficiencies or these um, lack of empathy. Uh, from a leadership perspective, I was I was actually um, coaching a, a a client the other day, which of course I won't share her her name, uh, but she was sharing how her boss was treating her, and I'm like, my goodness, that's leadership malpractice. And and so you know you, you do the best you can do, but you also know that sometimes even the most um, forward thinking organizations, there's always going to be those those individuals who just aren't with the program and have somehow skated by their whole career and are you know, uh, committing leadership malpractice on a daily basis. And, and we have to kind of figure that out. Well, I mean, 
so you i think it, you've you relay that you've seen it from kind of the outside where you or you, with your clients i guess or tsa you see these situations and i mean i jump back to it seems like you've had a lot of hats different hats of like different careers was there ever time where that you actually left a company because you didn't find out that it was a, a, a good fit for yourself is that kind of why jumping around or or what were the reasons behind for your own jumping around uh, from from my own personal career path, it a lot of it's been just circumstantial. Um, you know, sometimes it would be um, I was working with a software company and loved the job. Um, sales stunk and they downsized. You know, twenty eight percent of the population of the of the company at one point. Like, oh, okay, that's it. Um, other times it was you know a limited contract. When I was a professor, um, actually it was supposed to be a five year full time visiting thing. I just got my doctorate, and I'm like, well, let's see if this academic thing works out for me. And the first week I was um, through new faculty orientation, we had all these hurricanes roar through Central Florida. And so my grant was state funded. And so my dean pulls me and she's like, Steve, I have to preface this. I love you. You're, you know, I worked in the College of Education, and uh, but I was the corporate educator. Everyone else was like K through 12. And she's like, I, I love their, your, it's a different perspective. It really shines a different career path that some of our teachers can take. Yeah, that five-year grant, we get you for one more semester. I'm like, oh, okay, so there's that. <laughs> so, and then um, with my IBM time, which I absolutely loved, uh, I just found myself um, on a, um, and for those who aren't watching, I'm doing bunny ears, quote unquote, three-week project um, in San Francisco. I'm like three weeks. All right. I can commute there Monday and come back on Fridays and all that good stuff. Well, three weeks turned into three months, six months, nine months. By month number 10, I went to my boss and said, I, I can't do this anymore. This is physically exhausting. And uh, there's smarter people in LA who can do the commute up. I was leading a, a team um, in change management. And uh, if you know anything about a matrix organization where you have like, like four bosses, in, in any different way. And, and it depends on like the, the subject matter expertise you have, the industry you're in, and then the project you're on. It's all these little, you know, uh, hats hats that are kind of uh, you know, leading your life around. And the one uh, gentleman who was um, in part of the leadership wouldn't, he liked me and he's like, no, no, you're doing a great job. I said, but there'll be other people who do great jobs that you can find. Trust me. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't release me for the project. So I said, I released myself. Um, so there's a good example of, of kind of uh, knowing that as much as I love the role, um, the, the situation wasn't really feeding my my soul. And so I, I kind of, it's funny though, because I left on good terms in general. And so IBM was always my plan B because I truly love the company. So I always say, if Top Dog ever fails, I'll go back to being an IBMer. And 14 years later, that hasn't happened yet. Was there ever a moment where you were close to uh, looking at plan B more seriously? Uh, yeah, um, April, 2020. Um, oh, okay. So I typically how it works is we have um, we're like the certified leadership vendor for several large organizations, the global enterprises. We focus on like the North American stuff. And so typically we sell all of, all of our, our major on-site client work by February of the year. And so I know where me and my top doggers are, are physically going to travel to for the entire year. It's kind of very nice because I can add on vacations and do all that stuff. Well, of course, you know, we all know what happened in March 2020. And um, it took a couple weeks till people were trying to figure things out. And then all my clients said, Steve, we don't want you or your team anywhere near our campus. So we're going to cancel all training for the year. And that was that was everything. I lost every bit of business I had scheduled, much like I know a lot of people did. And so then 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 I'm like, well, crap, I'm you know, at the time I'm, I'm turning 50. Uh, I can't like build a business completely off the ground again. And so I did start to figure things out and, and you know, knock on wood. Um, 
I, you know, my doctorate's in instructional technology and distance education. So I was doing distance ed and Zooming before it was wicked cool uh, during a pandemic. But we, it was never really a big part of our business just because, you know, just the way things worked out. So I was able, and I don't like the word pivot because it's so overused, but we did. Um, we turned all of our, our training programs into online uh, experiences. I went to all the clients and said, look, let us turn that that thing that we used to do for two days or three days into something else. And, and you know, we started, I started poking them around June when we knew like, yeah, this isn't going away after like a couple weeks. And they're like, no, no, we're not ready. You're not ready. September, all, all four of the clients were like, yeah, can you and your team make that stuff online? And we're like, of course we can. And that's what we've been doing all year. And quite frankly, this is the best year we'll, we've ever had in the 14 years that we've existed. So it definitely glass half folded. Um, and, and we were lucky to kind of move the, into a, a good direction uh, and, and kind of ride the storm out. What was your original reaction when you started seeing that it wasn't looking as great in, in April? Was it a, a what was me? Was it I need to reassess this? I mean, what was your process? The first first thing was, are my top doggers going to be okay? Because you know they're, they're all contractors, so there's no legal thing I had to do, but I wanted to make sure they were okay. And, and so that was my first concern. And of course, <laughs> I did think about myself too. Um, can I pay my bills? And um, But what I started to do, and it was something I had learned quite a long time ago was... You know, I, I've learned to keep myself busy and focused. And so what I started doing was doing free webinars um, to anyone who would listen to be like, look, you know, I teach change management. I teach being resilient in times of change. Let's pull that out. Um, I, I have classes on um, your, your digital presence. Um, and of course, you know, at the beginning of, of the pandemic and Zooming, people really had no clue that you should have a light. You know, you don't angle your, your laptop up your nose, uh, you know, these types of things. So I started doing webinars on that and reaching out to organizations to be like, how can I support what's happening to your people? And that, that servant leadership mentality absolutely came back in, in you know, 20-fold. Uh, and I didn't do it for that reason. I did it kind of selfishly to, to keep busy and to keep my brand out there and to see what would happen. Lo and behold, that, that actually worked um, quite well. So kind of, a, uh, again, I guess it goes back to that young, that young child, that young Steve with kind of positivity. Yep. I mean, this is kind of jumping back. I mean, have your, I know your, your parents were positive at a young age. Are they still kind of your, your big support? I'm guessing your husband is probably one of your big supports. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. No, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty tight with my family. I call my parents all the time. I taught them to Zoom so and FaceTime. Okay. So that's, that's been a positive thing. I, I know my dad's um, insanely creative. He, he's a woodworker. Of course, they're, they're both retired. And at uh, the very, very beginning of the pandemic, I'm like, Dad, you need to get something to hold your phone because, you know, this shakiness and, you know, is making me seasick. He's like, all right. So the next, next, you know, a couple of days later, I FaceTime him and my dad's like, hold on, hold on. And he built this like beautiful stand out of like wood scraps. He had his, his wood shop. I'm like, damn, dad, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and my parents are still a very, very big part of my life. I'm very, I'm very fortunate that they're, you know, I have my parents because I know many people who, who don't. Um, but yeah, they're, they're still a great positive influence on me. And, and also from a work ethic perspective too. I mean, my, my dad, you know, worked in a, a factory his entire life. My mother was a secretary at elementary school and they both worked stupidly hard. And I think that rubbed off on all three of us kids as far as, you know, a, a focused work ethic and, and trying to output that good quality to make a difference for folks. Well, talking about making a difference and kind of the output, I mean, wh where do you see yourself, your company, 
being, let's say, if we're talking in five years from now? If we're on the same trajectory, um, we'll be the certified leadership, um, inclusive leadership vendor for um, probably about 10 organizations. We just picked up two more, um, which was crazy awesome. I'm so excited. Um, and, and really just helping people uh, within their organizations be more consciously inclusive leaders. And so it's it's really thinking about all of the others, quote unquote, um, and, and really creating that safe, that safe space and that sense of belonging for anyone within the workplace. Because obviously it's, it's not the right thing, not just the right thing to do, at least from my perspective, but you can see all the data, it makes good business sense. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that has been really refreshing um, when I teach these inclusive leadership programs and, and things of that nature. You know, I have people who are all over the map um, in these sessions and some are like, Got it, Steve. I see eye to eye. Yes, I want the world to be more inclusive. Awesome sauce. Then there's the folks who are voluntold to be there who are just like in the back, like, mm-hmm. and you know, they 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 you know have their opinion, and that's totally fine. So what I do is I explain to all of the people, all of y'all in the room, um, you know, you can be on one side that it makes the world better. On the opposite side, it's oh keeps us out of hot water with legal things, depending on where you're at. I said, but right in the middle is it's, it makes your business more successful when you're inclusive. When you're exclusive, uh, you're, you're excluding customers, you're excluding potential employees and all that good stuff. And so if you can be as inclusive as possible, studies show time and again that that's really, really good for the bottom line. When you have a diverse board of directors, when you have a diverse C-suite, yeah, the, the, the stock price, the, the contracts, everything is better. That's been proven. And so I said, if you, you know, you're not going to be maybe at that, like the world's going to be better, but at least agree that we're going to go down this path because it's going to be good for your business. Is that fair? And they're like, okay, cool. Yes. By the end of the workshops, they're like, yeah, actually it does make the world better and people are more happy. I'm like, yes. So I, I think, you know, in 10 years from now, that story and that message will be much more common uh, than it already is. And, and we'll hopefully be the ones sharing that message with folks. <clears throat> We're, I mean, and, and talking about kind of, I guess, the future, I mean, it, it seems at least that things, you have one side going farther right, one side going farther left. What do you think is going to uh, push companies to have that that mindset that you're talking about? Do you think, I mean, because I think you bring up a good point. It's like one's being a good person and one's keeping you out of legal troubles right there. Let's find somewhere in between. So, you know, and ideally you want more people being good people. Yeah. Um, yet, do you think it's going to be mostly legal stuff that's going to push i think more companies or you think it's just no. going to be I, I absolutely think it's it's the um the newer generations entering into the workforce or, or mm. growing within the workforce that's going to shift things that is shifting things and you know i'm a, I'm a gen xer um you know we, we're kind of all over the map with some things but but we we were a little bit more embracing of differences because of the mm. the time that we grew up and i think if, if you and, and i am grossly generalizing and i understand that as a person who teaches diversity um but i do think that in general the um the tolerance of any difference is much more uh, embraced by the young, the younger set. I say like an old guy, uh, but uh, but I think that's what's going to push a lot of businesses. That and the business, the the fiscal business case that keeps being shown. Couple that with businesses know that it's it's smart business sense to be inclusive, and they're more and more starting to leverage their power as a business to help influence society. You know, you see, um, you know, folks with in North Carolina when they were trying to do the anti-trans bathroom bill and a lot of companies were like, you know what, you do this. Yeah. We're going to find other places to go play because we can, we can go there. And, and it's really making 
the greater society would be like, oh, well, maybe we should try to be like nice to all the other people out there because it's not just the right thing to do, but it, it's it's good for the bottom line. And I think those are the combinations that really are going to move things forward as we progress as a society. Is there any, I mean, to that young, that young you, that, that young Steve that was kind of trying to find their path in life, their footing in life, is there any advice you, you would give to that person? Wear sunscreen would be the first okay. thing. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think, um, I, I think I actually had this, but I still believe it bears repeating and that's keep your, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, listen a lot more, uh, and, and, but listen to what's being said and also what's not being said and couple that with, with trying to be even more empathetic than you are and understand the difference, uh, that people have and the different experiences that they go through life with. I know, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a white dude, so I have that, that, that privilege or that advantage going up. Uh, I'm also a gay dude and I've, I've been gay bash and I've had some horrible things happen. So that difference is not foreign to me. And, and I do believe that, that my gayness is a superpower because I can empathize with some others. I will not understand what it's truly like to be a person of color in this society, but I can have a lot more empathy having, you know, been called lots of nasty words, even, you know, boy, people are really brave online. I have to say that. And when you throw it out there that you're the gay leadership dude, boy, people come up running to, to, to try to knock you down. And it's, it's interesting. So, uh, but that bit of empathy, I, I think can't be undervalued. And I would tell younger Steve, you know, embrace that and really try to, to understand people's perspectives. I mean, I guess there's, I mean, two questions I have. I mean, when did you start leaning into the gay leadership dude <laughs> using that, that, that title? Was that more recently or is yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, right. it was, I mean, I've never, I, I'm very fortunate. Um, I, you know, I figured my authentic self out around 24, pretty much right when I was entering into the workforce. You know, actually, when I moved down to Orlando that second time as the boomerang and worked for the software company. And I never hid who I was, you know, and, and as, as queer people know, you, you strategically start to share your authentic self with different topics. A, a lot of it honestly has to do with psychology and safety. You know, you don't want to just like, hello, and throw it out there. And then all of a sudden you're gay bash, you know, or something like that. So you got to be, be mindful of that. And we all operate from that safety perspective, but you know, we figure it out. And I've, you know, my entire career, I've been out, but it wasn't until I was writing my latest book, Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ Plu Leader to be the King or Queen of the Jungle, that I came up with the gay leadership dude because my publisher kind of forced me to in a wonderful way. And, and she's like, uh, she's like, well, what's your brand with this book? I said, well, it's top dogs. She said, no, 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 your personal brand. I'm like, I don't think I have one. She's like, you need one because at some point top dog could be sold. But you will still be here as an author, as a speaker, as you know, someone who does keynotes and all that stuff. I'm like, huh, well, it's, a, it's a, a book about queer leadership, so maybe I should be the gay leadership dude. And it's been kind of fun because I, I often say, you know, by just using the title, you know, three things about me immediately. Um, one, I'm gay. Two, um, I self-identify as a dude. And three, I really like leadership. And let's focus our energy on that third point. And I don't have to do the coming out thing. It's kind of right there in the title. And so it does make it make it pretty easy. And it's actually been kind of fun. I, um, uh, recently, my husband and I were on one of our first vacations uh, since the pandemic. And someone actually came up to me and, and said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but aren't you the gay leadership dude? I'm like, yes, I'm a D minus celebrity. <laughs> so, so it's sticking somehow. And it's only been since 2019. 
I mean, it brings me to my, my second question is, so you said um, having one mouth and two ears kind of listening and kind of hearing what's there and what's not there. What's, I mean, especially meeting, like maybe it's not necessarily in the company because you're probably going to be around those people over time. You're a leader, I mean, being a leader, you can probably get to know them and see kind of what's going to be a positive way of communicating to the negative way. But even just having a, a, a regular conversation with someone at a coffee shop or a bar, wherever it might be, how how is the is there a quick way of kind of figuring out what I sh it's okay for me to say and what I shouldn't say because it might trigger or is it just being yourself and allowing kind of things to fly? But if that if they tell you something, then kind of veer in a different direction. I mean, what's your feedback thoughts on something like that? So I'm going to tell you and the listeners the absolute secret, one of the secrets to effective leadership. Okay, ready, ready, ready. It's you ask people about them. Mm. And then you just listen because people, one, love to tell their story. Fine. That's just how we're wired as humans. But two, they're going to give you so much data if you let them. And, and you know, Stephen Covey, if you're not familiar with him, he's a, a big leadership guru. And he says, we, we often listen to respond versus listen to understand. And I think that's that's such a fantastic strategy. If you it, you know, most of us, especially in Western society, are listening to find our spot to jump in or to add value or or tell about our side of the the perspective. Well, if you just listen to understand and 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 to really know, you're gonna really find a great way not just to build rapport with that person, but you're gonna get a sense of of who they are as an individual. And and that's that's the smart strategy if you want to be an effective leader. Well, thank you, Steve, for, for being here. If someone's listening right now and they want to be an effective leader, maybe they're not there yet, but they're looking to 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 go that path, go that direction. What's the best way of them following you and also finding more information about Top Dog? Yeah, actually, it's one-stop shop. If you go to uh, topdoglearning.biz, uh, you'll be able to uh, find out about my team, about me, um, the books we have out there, the online training programs we do, the keynotes, and blah, 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 all that good stuff. So topdoglearning.biz. Well, thank you again, Steve, for being here, uh, a.k.a. the leadership gay leadership dude, a.k.a. founder of uh, uh, Top Dog Learning Group, I mean, AKA probably so much more, but I'll just finish that. <laughs> that. Thank you guys for, for listening. Please subscribe. Please share. Go find Steve. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.